This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon and I'm here with Mims. How are you today? Good. How's it going, Sinners? I'm doing well. I hope (laughs) everyone else is. Yeah. Yeah. We're recording this uh, a day after Thanksgiving. So I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Everybody ate some really good food. Definitely. Yeah, I I know I did. (laughs) That's all. I'm ready to go home and eat again, though. It was funny because (laughs) we were just talking about how you had, like, 15 hams. (laughs) Yeah, I got a lot of hams somehow. Grocery pickup is an interesting thing. You either get, like, nothing or you get extra, depending on who picks your groceries for you. Right. I have some extra giant hams, so I hope everybody in my family wants to eat ham for the next few weeks. I'm sure. I'm sure they will. They probably will. So, do you have any current events you want to talk about today? I do. So, I believe it was last week, somebody drove through uh, the Waukesha Christmas Parade, um, and they, you know, trampled a lot of people with the vehicle, um... If you haven't seen the video, I really don't recommend that you do watch it, just because it is pretty graphic. You do see it all happening right in front of you, and um, it's a lot to take in, so I don't don't recommend going down that road. Yeah, it's horrendous, and it's crazy that he was even out on the streets to commit this crime, since he had ran over his kid's mother, like few weeks before this i just like okay so you just think that it's okay to run people over like that's so fucked up he has an extensive criminal history he clearly has some kind of mental health or substance abuse issues going on something is going on there's like a extreme level of anger there for sure yeah but it looks like the first he's on bond for two different cases so one of them it looks like he filed a speedy trial demand and they couldn't get him into trial when they were supposed to. So instead of getting the case dismissed, they allowed him out on a $500 cash bond. And that was for shooting a gun off during a fight. Oh my god. And then a few weeks ago, he allegedly <laughs> ran over his children's mother. And he received a $1,000 cash bond for that. $1,000. And now they're investigating... Milwaukee County DA's office to see why they gave him a thousand dollar cash bond for such a horrendous crime right that he would go on to repeat and then I saw a video of him he had ran up to somebody's house in the neighborhood to try to escape pretending he was homeless and he needed help and then he got arrested on their porch and it was all like on a ring video oh wow yeah so 
some of the people that were killed were, um, I believe it was a few elderly women, and um, the youngest person was eight years old. Yeah. So that was really, really sad to hear. And it's just, it makes me not hopeful to reintegrate myself and my family into activities that's like in the community because you go to a Christmas parade and you're not even safe there. Like there's always a threat Mm -hmm. that could, something could happen. Yeah. And it's just, it's so unsettling because it's, that is the most like, family-oriented thing to do, and then people fucking died. Yeah, and one of my daughter's friends, her little sister was there, and she's in the hospital. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's... And then one of my kids asked to go to the Appleton Christmas Parade, and I just got, like, the worst anxiety about it. I was like, um, I hate to tell you no, because it's just a Christmas parade, but I don't really feel comfortable. Yeah, I mean, when will we feel comfortable after... Like, people were shot up in the mall, you know, at yeah. the Fox River Mall. Yeah. And you just go there to shop or eat at the food court or whatever you do, you know? And it's yeah. like, you can't even do the simplest things in life. Yeah. And it sucks. It does. So. Everyone is, everyone needs to go to therapy. Yeah. We highly recommend therapy and self-defense Take a couple classes. Yeah, definitely. Be aware of your surroundings. Yes, that's a really good point. What else do we have? Um, The McMichael-Bryan trial is over. They were all three convicted of many charges, including homicide. And now the feds are charging them with hate crimes. So they will be convicted of some more crimes. And that makes me very happy. Yeah, that makes me extremely happy. That's a huge win. Yeah, because that never should have happened. No. And we never ha- should have had to do as much as we had to do to get them prosecuted to begin with. So I can't wait to see the prosecutor face her charges as well. Yeah. Yeah. This is all going out, going in a really great way. And I am very proud of the system on this case. Yeah, they did have a good judge in their case. Yeah. Unlike some other people. Yeah. <laughs> So, that's it for me. What do you... Oh, okay. One more thing. I seen that Brian Laundry. Yeah. Okay, so the remains were his. Yeah. And he did get shot at the back of the head. Mm Mm-hmm. So, he... Oh, it was in the back of the head. Yeah. And they're still saying it was self-inflicted? Is that what they're saying? The article I saw said self-inflicted, but that doesn't sound self-inflicted. That's an odd angle to have to be at. I really want to say that it was at the back of the head. Do you mind handing me my phone? Oh, and for people that want to see our faces even more, we are putting this episode on our YouTube channel so you can see our studio. You can see our faces. (laughs) And um, I guess us and our element. I feel like a little newscaster. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. Um, here, let me see. Okay. Died from a gunshot gunshot wound to the head. Okay, so you're right. And then, and his manner of death was suicide. I don't know why I thought it was to the back of the head. 
Somebody could have reported that. Yeah. There's so, a lot of different reports. Wait, it says according to a statement from the laundry's family attorney. So oh, okay, we know he's extra reliable, right? So <laughs> we don't have the facts. I don't think yet. I think there's going to be more to it. Yeah, but we'll we'll see about that. Is this is just like. I don't know. This case is so weird to me. It is. It's it's a very interesting case. Mm-hmm. Okay. That all was right. it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all I got for th- this week. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead. All right. Let's get started. I am doing the Crystal Kaiser case. And um, for... I know a lot of people are familiar with this. Um, but for those of you that aren't... Uh, this is gonna open your eyes to basically what's going on, um, and it, it kind of relates to the trial that just happened in Kenosha, so that's why I picked it. Oh, all my I'm source- intrigued. Okay, awesome. <laughs> all my source material came from Kenosha News, uh, NBC News, USA Today, the Wisconsin Core Access, and of course, our favorite, Wikipedia. Yes, we love Wikipedia. Okay. So, this is the story of Crystal Kaiser. She was born in Milwaukee on July 2nd, 2000. Uh, Crystal was 16 years old and struggling financially. And I shouldn't say she was struggling financially um, because it's the responsibility of her guardians, her parents, to... Right. Take care of her. So I wouldn't so much say it was her struggling as it was like a family struggle. Yeah. Um, but as we know, a lot of family dynamics aren't the normal, you know, parents taking care of kids. So she was trying to survive in this situation. Yeah. Uh, Crystal in 2018 was struggling so much that she resorted to posting on a site called Backpage. And for those of you who do not know what Backpage is, it is a classified advertising website similar to Craigslist. On April 6, 2018, the U.S. Department of Justice announced the seizure and takedown of Backpage, a part of a 93-count indictment of seven former owners and executives charging them with the facilitating of prostitution under the U.S. Travel Act and as well as money laundering and conspiracy. And I actually did go, I just wanted to see what it looked like. And um, it's, you can definitely tell that there's some sort of like selling of sex on there because... Is it back up right now? Yeah, it is because I, I mean, there wasn't anything like, it didn't say like, closed or anything like that. Oh, it was shut down for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's the backstory of Backpage for those of you that are interested. Um, one of her friends told her about the site after Crystal mentioned she needed money for food and school supplies, which made me really sad. That is really sad. Her post was to the effect that she was in need of money and needed work. Uh, the first person she came across on Backpage was Randall Randy Voller III, a 34-year-old man. 
After corresponding with each other, he convinced her to live with him in Kenosha. So she moved from Milwaukee to Kenosha. During her time living with Randall, he sexually abused her regularly and sometimes filmed the abuse for over a year. And I want to point out that even though she did post on Backpage looking for work, that she does not, that does not disregard the fact that she was a minor and legally could not consent to sex, which makes any sexual encounter that happened to her while living with Randall, that's statutory rape. Yep. So I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Right. Also, Randall, a 34-year-old man, had no business interacting with a 16-year-old girl. That man was raping underage Crystal point blank. There's no disputing that. No. And let's say she was a consenting adult wanting to do sex work for money. That does not mean that she does not reserve the right to say no or to be forced to do anything that she doesn't want to. Sex workers they do what they want to do and if they're ever put in a situation where they say no and they're refusing to that that cancels out the job that is rape i don't care like if they are in the field of sex work that doesn't mean that they aren't still humans and they don't say or have the right to say no at any point Right, that's a really good point, because a lot of people think sex workers, like, once you agree to go with somebody, you have to do whatever they want. Right. That's not how it works. No, and especially if it's not, like, let's say they're in a situation where it's, like, they think they're just having normal sex, but then all of a sudden this John or whatever starts, like, beating the fuck out of them, it's like, okay, well, I didn't agree to that, and that doesn't make them subjectable to that kind of behavior either. Right. So in 2017, a year before meeting Crystal, Randall was previously arrested after a 15-year-old African-American girl reported him to police for giving her drugs and threatening to kill her. So he had an encounter with her. He drugged her, and it must have escalated, and then he threatened to kill her from that. Oh, wow. Randall was charged with child enticement, using a computer to facilitate a child's sex crime, and second-degree sexual assault of a child. Unfortunately and unsurprisingly, Randall was released that same day, paid nothing for bail, and was just told he would receive a court summons. Did he have the same judge as Kyle Rittenhouse? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. So, the justice system was aware of this pedophile predator and just released him on that same day. Um, I, I've never heard of such a thing, but apparently that's something that happens. Uh, he was back on the prowl after that and met and lured Crystal. Soon after moving into the residence of Randall, he began to traffic her through Backpage. And as most traffickers or pimps, he kept the money she received from her other rapists because she didn't agree to that. Uh, so I'm not going to label this next part of the story as a crime as I typically do. I am in full support of Crystal's actions, so I have labeled this section as Crystal's escape. Crystal had enough of the sexual, mental, and emotional abuse she was enduring She took matters into her own hands. Uh, 
once he pinned her to the floor when she refused to have sex with him and after years of abuse, she snapped. On June 5th, 2018, she ended up shooting Randall twice in the head. Uh, after she shot him, she lit his house on fire, fled the scene in his BMW along with his laptop and money, um, any money that she could grab. And I, I say that because it's going to tie into the hearings after, so right. it is relevant. A neighbor noticed that the house was on fire and called 911. Uh, my husband and I keep going back and forth with the whole setting his house on fire. He does not support that. He was like, well, why would she just, why wouldn't she just like leave? And I personally, I'm on her side of it. Yeah, it's hard to say how you're going to react to repeated abuse and trauma. That's what I said to him. And I think to myself that if I endured something terrible, I would want to punish that person, of course. Mm -hmm. But the place where it happened would also be traumatic as well. Yeah. And would, she might have just panicked. She's a kid. And right. her brain's not even developed yet. Right. So I don't know why this made me think of it, but I thought about the movie Forrest Gump. Yeah. And how Jenny was sexually abused by her father. And when she was an adult, she came back and she went to go see her child at home. And it was all like, yeah. you know, busted up and it was abandoned. And she just like screamed and threw rocks at it and just like fell to the ground. And just like the mere seeing of the house just probably brought it all back. And I know this is a movie, but yeah, it's, but it's super relatable. It came from somewhere the person that had that idea it came from somewhere mm -hmm. and i feel like places hold the energy of things that have happened there that's why some places are really happy and some places you hate yeah that's a good so, point yeah i mean i would have burned it down too i and we talk about that all the time like burn that place to the ground you know like <laughs> yeah. and it's like and some people like Crystal, actually do it. And some people like us will say it, but we won't do it. I mean, I don't know if I would do it. Maybe I would. If it was a really <laughs> bad experience, I'll just say, fuck it and just burn it all down. Yeah, depending on the situation. But I don't I don't know what I would have done if I was in her position and I'm, I'm, I'm in no position to judge her. I agree. Uh, police searched the home and discovered and identified Randall's burned body. The body was sent to the coroner to perform an autopsy, which dis determined uh, his cause of death was from the bullets to his head. Later, Randall's car was found abandoned in Milwaukee. The investigating officers found a receipt in the vehicle and traced it to Crystal. They tracked her down to her, her boyfriend's home in Milwaukee and arrested her. She was incarcerated at Kenosha County Detention Facility to await trial. Uh, so Kenosha County charged her with first degree intentional homicide, use a, of a dangerous weapon, uh, taking and driving vehicle without consent, arson of building without owner's consent, bail jumping, which is a fel felony as well, and possession of a firearm, which is also another felony. The homicide charge alone carries a mandatory life sentence in prison. So she's looking at a lot. Yeah. Lead prosecutor and district attorney Michael Gravely, Gravely, based his entire case on the fact that she 
that he believed she premeditated the murder. And he also thought that what she did was fueled by like wanting to steal from him as well. So he thought it was greed. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Of course he did. But... It sounds a lot like the Centoya Brown case. Yeah, which actually kind of ties to that later on. But I, I do have a question for you, Valen. Why, would, why wouldn't she have robbed him on day one? If it was... If she was just after money or seeing that he had a BMW or... That he had all these things in the house. Like, why why did it take a year? And why would she also set the home on fire if it wasn't more trauma-fueled? I don't dispute that maybe she had enough and she was like, I gotta kill this motherfucker. Yeah. And she maybe had planned it or, you know, like, saw it as her only way out. But I definitely do not agree that it was because she wanted to rob him. No, because she could have just robbed him the first night he went to sleep. That's what, yeah, exactly. And she's like, and left without any, any trace, like, yeah, exactly. And if she couldn't have called and said, "Well, I hired a sixteen-year-old sex worker, and she took all my money," right? They'd be like, "A, what are you doing with a (laughs) sixteen-year-old girl?" Well, you're on bail for raping the last girl. Yeah. So I think that's complete bullshit because she was hurting for money. Mm -hmm. So if she was hurting for money as bad as she was, she should have just robbed him right then and there and would have been done with it. Right. I agree. The prosecutor was just a joke. Um, So although the prosecutor agreed that Randall was an abuser, they further stated that Crystal planned to steal his car as indicated by being armed with the gun and that she downloaded a police scanner app the day of the shooting. It's like, okay, she's trying to escape and she did set a house on fire so I could see why she downloaded that. I'm just playing devil's advocate at this point. Right. Uh, In my opinion, it was planned after he assaulted her and was pinning her down but i like i said before it's was her escape against a grown-ass man right and who knows what he had been telling her Mm -hmm. about what was going to happen if she left voluntarily right because she's a child Mm -hmm. and he's a grown man with way more resources than her right so yeah her defense attorney countered that Crystal was a victim of child trafficking and acted in self-defense against her pimp. In 2019, her case received renewed attention after the Washington Post interviewed her and after the George Floyd riots. Her attorney planned to argue an affirmative defense, a Wisconsin state law that allows one to be acquitted of all charges if a crime was committed by someone being trafficked. There are no known cases where the affirmative defense has been used in an offense involving a violent crime to date. In December 2019, Judge Wilk ruled that Crystal did not have access to the affirmative defense law for trafficking victims. The judge then ruled that the affirmative defense could not be pursued in her homicide case. To which I asked, what the fuck do you mean, Judge? Like... She is a trafficked person. Yeah. How does that not apply to her? 
on another note, in support of Crystal's defense, the Washington Post also reported that the court records demonstrated that the police had evidence that Randall was abusing multiple underage African-American girls and that there was video evidence of the abuse. Authorities even confirmed that they were working on a case against Randall and that there is video evidence showing he sexually assaulted multiple African-American underage girls right before this. Oh, wow. So she saved everybody. Yeah. Which is... Okay, so my thought process, now that I just really understood that, is she must have known that she wasn't the only one. Mm -hmm. And she must have known that he did get a slap on the wrist the first time and every other time and he's been under the radar. And perhaps maybe her setting it all on fire made damn sure that he would never do anything again. Yeah. My thoughts. Uh, Let me see. Records showed that the prosecutor's office received the evidence 12 days before Randall was killed and three months after his first arrest in 2017. But as we all know, the the system is in favor of all white men, so I mentioned before he was free to go. Yep. Uh. In case you didn't know how we feel on this podcast. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I... <laughs> you do not have to be sorry. And it's it's not every every judge in every county, but there's definitely problems in a good majority of places, and mm-hmm. Kenosha definitely is problematic. Yeah. So as far as Crystal's bail was set, um, it was set at $1 million, but in February 2020, Judge Wilk lowered the bond to 400000 At a June 2020 hearing, her public defense uh, attorney stated that she had contracted COVID while incarcerated and argued that she should be released to receive medical attention. However, the motion was denied. Uh, On June 2nd, 2021, the Wisconsin Court of Appeals released a published decision finding that the trial court had erred when denying her the ability to raise an affirmative defense. Crystal's mother, DeVore Taylor, formed the Crystal Kaiser Defense Committee to organize around the case and to raise bail money. Additionally, in June 2020, a community activist um, like the Chicago Community Bond Fund, the Milwaukee Freedom Fund, survived and punished, and the Crystal Kaiser Defense Committee posted her bond and she was released after two years of incarceration. Uh, she did receive a lot of support from communities. Uh, so she received national media attention after Jessica Contrera of the Washington Post covered the story in December of 2019. Actra- actress and producer Alyssa Milano and American activist Tara... Ooh, I'm going to butcher her name. Tara Nana Berkey were among those who got the word out about the case on social media in her support. Critics of Crystal's arrest argued that the criminal justice system frequently punishes trafficked victims, such as... So critics of Crystal's arrest argue that the criminal justice system frequently punishes trafficked victims, such as this very case. Sex crimes experts stated that children of color are seen as willing participants in trafficking cases and not as victims, which is an appalling way to think. Mm -hmm. Well, for some reason, a lot of society 
seems to think that black girls and I'm sure other girls of color are older than they are. Mm. Like they look at them as women when they're young girls. Which makes no sense. No, but I'll give you an example. Yeah. One of the people that live by me mm-hmm. is a crazy woman. My daughter was 14. She was outside walking the dog at night. Mm-hmm. And they said that the dog pooped on her driveway. And she's like, that wasn't my dog. Like, my dog is five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> it poops like a rabbit. Yeah, I was going to say, like, durable poops. And then she, like, tried to yell at her. And my daughter yelled back at her, like, dude, leave me alone. Yeah. And half an hour later, the police are at my house. And they said, the neighbor said she got into an argument with the woman from down the street. And I was wow. like. Wow. That was a 14-year-old child. Right. A, a yeah. child. That is, that makes no sense. No. But that, a lot of society does that, though. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, um, going back to your Centoya comment, Centoya Brown wrote an account that outlined the similarities between their cases. For those of you unfamiliar with the Tennessee Centoya Brown case, she too was 16 and a victim of sex trafficking and eliminated her John after the transaction of sex and money occurred. And, um, it was because he became a threat to her. Mm Mm-hmm. Hundreds of letters, encouraging words, artwork, and books were sent to Crystal while she sat in Kenosha. I didn't realize that she had gotten out on bond. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they raised enough money for her, which was really awesome. Yeah. The District 2 Court of Appeals overturned Judge Wilkes ruling on the use of the affirmative defense stating that if she is able to show her actions were a direct result of the trafficking she experienced she would be able to use it the Wisconsin Supreme Court will review an an appellate court decision that opened the door for Crystal to use the affirmative defense whether her defense team will be allowed to pursue that defense is up to the Supreme Court and it's under revision right now Interestingly enough, the affirmative defense has never been used in a homicide case in Wisconsin. Her status conference is scheduled for January 21st of 2022 at the Branch 5 courtroom of 205, and there is no trial date set, so it's just a status conference, which is, I I don't really know what you do at a status conference. They're just going to check in check in on the case and see what the status of the appeal is because my guess is the state wasn't happy with the appellate court's decision so they asked for the supreme court to review it Mm -hmm. yeah so then they have to wait we can't do anything until the supreme court reviews it okay so if you're interested in supporting crystal kaiser while she goes through this trial a fundraiser that has already raised more than sixty six thousand seven hundred and fifty five dollars over the course of only 136 days is available for your contribution on fundraiser with zr.com on change.org there is a petition link that currently has a lot of signatures Mm -hmm. um, and they are asking for 1,500,000 signatures if you would like to add your signature to it for her support DA gravely posted on Facebook um, a response to the petition that stated he would not be swayed by the petition 
which I think is really unprofessional way to address that. <laughs> it's not surprising. And a little bit o- aggressive. So it but. happens in a lot of appeals that they just like go back and forth on Twitter. Take it, take it on Facebook. That makes no sense. Yeah. Anyway, another way you can support Crystal is by using the hashtag free crystal on social media as it will bring more coverage and attention to her case. Uh, the reason why I did this case before the trial even started was because I want Crystal to get as much coverage as she can. Uh, she needs all the support and she needs community and she needs strength. Yeah. Uh, I might do a second part to this once everything is said and done, but I feel strongly that the more people help with the fundraising and raising awareness and signing the petition, it will only solidify the fact that that we as a community are saying no more to sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. We are saying no more to slapping the abuser on the wrist for one reason or another and punishing the trafficked victim to the maximum capacity. Yeah. And that if we are able to acquit someone else for killing two people in self-defense, that it should especially be applied to girls, women, boys, men who kill their abusers, their traffickers, and attackers in self-defense. Absolutely. It should be an equal playing field, and it should definitely apply to Crystal Kaiser, who is an underage girl, or was at the time, Um, already struggling, who was preyed upon by a disgusting pedophile man who abused her and abused other girls and passed her around as if he owned her. Mm -hmm. All the sins of Wisconsin support Crystal Kaiser and believe she deserves the same verdict that was passed in Kenosha for Kyle last week or two weeks ago now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Acquit Crystal Kaiser, let her use the affirmative defense and be on... Tra- uh, traffic victim side more than the abusers. Yes. And that is Crystal Kaiser's story. Um, like I said before, I'm probably gonna jump back on that once everything is said and done. Um, yeah. Because I, I, it's very important. It is. And it seems like the more community involvement there are in cases, the more likely they are to work out the way that we want them to. Yeah. So we have to keep pressure. Yeah, absolutely. That's our right as citizens is to pressure all of our public officials. And that includes judges who are elected in Wisconsin. So if you live in Kenosha and you don't like your judge's rulings, pay attention and show up and vote. Right. Oh, that's a really good point, too, because we ultimately say who is put in what. Yep you know, job for the government. So yep, DAs, judges, yeah. we're voting for these people or not because people don't go to local elections. Yeah. <laughs> so, and oh, I had another point to that, what you just stated about being in support of her and bringing more attention to it. Mm-hmm. The, I think the fact that she did have, you know, an actress basically yeah. putting the word out there an activist putting the word out there, you know, just all these community committees backing her. That is so unheard of when it comes to these types of cases because not a lot of people, A, know about it. And then it doesn't get publicized like a a white girl that's been missing and sex trafficked. And it's just, we need to support any and everybody doesn't yes. matter what race, yeah. gender, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, I agree. 
And she's lucky that she has all this because a lot of people don't get any media attention, don't have any supporters, and because we just don't know. Right, because this is happening in our state, and I wouldn't have known without the Washington Post article. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And that was one media outlet. Yep. So it's pretty tragic. Yeah, I wonder how that reporter found out about it to write about it. Right, maybe she, it was like word of mouth or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I'm glad she has support too. Yeah, me too. So that was it for me. <laughs> All right. Today, I'm going to tell the story of the wrongful conviction of Forrest Schomburg. And the case information, like the case summary, is going to be obtained from the National Registry of Exonerations, which is from U- University of Michigan Law School. They keep a whole registry of everybody that's been exonerated. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll start with the facts of the case that he got convicted for. On March 9th, 2002, a female UW-Madison student was walking home around 3 a.m. when she was grabbed from behind near a parking garage. The man who grabbed her violently groped her genitals and screamed, alerting, and she screamed, alerting a nearby security guard. It's just, it's so creepy. It is, yeah, and I... I want to give out a tip. So a lot of people don't respond to, like, if you're wanting help, people yeah. don't respond to, like, help, I'm being attacked. People, if you scream out, fire, there's a fire, yeah. people will run to you to help. So just just a tidbit. Yeah, that's a good point. So she screamed. That alerted a nearby security guard. He grabbed his radio to call the police, and the noise from his radio scared off the attacker. When police arrived, the victim gave a description, which the police used to create a composite sketch. Okay, is it just me, or do all composite sketches look the same? They all look the same. They all, like... (laughs) But you know what? People back then, I don't know if it's because of lack of hiring somebody that had like an artistic background or whatever but now i feel like it's way more detailed because of the people that they hire that could be too it was probably just like a random cop in the office like yeah i used to draw in middle school (laughs) (laughs) i sketched on my notebook So the victim described her attacker as having blue eyes, and both her and the security guard described him as being between 20 and 30 years old. Okay. So then on April 4th, the police brought both parties in for a live lineup. They both apparently picked out Forrest Schomburg, who happened to be known to police because of his extensive record. He did have previous convictions for theft, burglary, criminal damage to property, car theft, hit and run, and illegal possession of a firearm. Jesus. So, yeah, he's been in some trouble a few dozen times. Yeah. <laughs> so, during the security guard's first statement to police, he indicated that he never got a good look at the suspects. It's 3 a.m., and they're outside. Okay. And he was about 25 feet away. Okay. However, by trial... He stated he had seen the attacker slip under a light and then got a good look at him and was 100% sure that it was Forrest. Okay. But the victim stated at trial she was not sure. 
She mm. simply picked out the best person from the lineup. She even stated during trial he could very well not be the guy. Oh no. I like her honesty. That's true. Because but- I can tell she, like, she didn't want to live with that on her conscience in case she was wrong. Yeah, which yeah. is a lot to live with. Right. So, uh, furthermore, Forrest had an alibi from three different people. Three of his friends testified that they were all watching a movie together when this attack occurred. Okay. Nonetheless, on April 9th, 2003, the judge who heard the case, there was no jury in this case. It was just heard before a judge. The judge found Forrest guilty. Is that common? You can choose as a defendant if you want what's called a bench trial where the judge just hears the case and a jury trial. So he chose that? It sounds like he chose that. They Mm. erased the CCAP records of the case. I went to look and they're not, there's nothing on there. I'm guessing because he's exonerated, they don't need to be on there anymore. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But yeah, I was trying to see, but it's up to the defendant what kind of case, what kind of jury they want a judge or a jury. Right. There's some cases where it's, if it's really technical, it's better to have a judge. Like, if it's really technical about the law. Yeah. But I'm not really sure in this case. I'm not really sure how the judge convicted him. I'm not sure about any of (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I would prefer because... Because juries are crazy. Yeah, they are. And it's like, do I really trust all these people that aren't, like, well-versed in the law? Or, like, I I mean, they're just getting all these different things thrown at them. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to think. Yeah. So he was found guilty of second-degree sexual assault, false imprisonment, and bail jumping, and was sentenced to 12 years in prison. Due to his previous convictions, he had received an enhanced sentence. That's why he got the 12 years. So after Forrest appealed and lost, the Wisconsin Innocence Project got involved in his case and they asked for the DNA from the victim's pantyhose to be tested. My question was, like, why don't we do this before trial? Yeah. Would have saved a lot of time. Yeah. So there was then a hearing regarding the evidence because the DNA came back to somebody else. <gasps> Shocking. Yeah. And there was also expert testimony provided regarding the unreliability of eyewitness testimony. If y'all don't know, eyewitness testimony is not like you would as great as you think it is. No, I never thought it was great. No. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, oh, but they saw them. Like, no. Especially if it's, like, cross-racial identification. Right. That's even worse. Oh, right. If it's at night. Mm-hmm. If you're in a traumatic situation. Yeah. Your mind just remembers what it wants to. Can I give you an example? Yeah. Okay. So, one time, my husband and I, it was a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> And we were watching a movie, and um, all of a sudden we heard this big, loud crash. Yeah. And we ran to the window, and we seen this truck hit this guy in a wheelchair. Oh, my God. And the truck backed up, went around the guy, and just sped right off. Oh, my God. And so I was like, okay, quick, call the cops. So I'm calling the cops, and... We're running outside to see if, like, the guy's okay. The mm-hmm. guy had, like, a service dog with him, too. And I just, like, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And I was like, mental note, the truck is gray, and it has this, and it has that. And I'm, like, telling the cops that. And Jake's like, that's not right. The cr- The truck was gold, and it had this stripe. And I'm like, I swear it was gray yeah. with, I don't know what I said. 
It's like, I for a fact know it was gold and it had a streak in it. And like other neighbors heard it too because it was mm-hmm. really loud. Yeah. And they're like, it was a whatever color truck. And it was like, everybody was saying like four different things. Yeah. So I, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Did they ever find out who it was? Oh, yeah. So what color was the truck? It was gold. <laughs> Jake was right. Jake was right. So they. Yeah, he was actually driving home from, or not driving home, he was driving from down the road, he was at one of his buddies drinking, Mm -hmm. and he was very intoxicated when he hit the guy, so that's why he fled. Makes sense. And then the cops found him, like, a little ways away, and apparently he was also hopped up on, like, some sort of drug and drunk. Wow. And, yeah, they did arrest him. I've actually seen the guy in the wheelchair, because that's his way of transportation. He has one of those electric wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the dog. They're okay. That's good. But it was really horrific because the guy was just, like, not responding, and he was just laying on his side. The, The dog was also, like, in full adrenaline mode because he was, like booking it down the road and like he wouldn't let any of us near him and i'm just like dog please help please let me help you because you're yeah it was really sad that's traumatic yeah that's a good point because you never remember things the way that they actually are and i thought i would i was like i yeah just really look at it yeah we all think we will but i I was definitely wrong (laughs) so after this testimony, after this two-day hearing, the judge vacated the conviction. Okay. And then on November 20th, the DA dismissed the charges against Forrest. Because after the after a conviction is vacated, you're still charged. Oh, okay. So normally they'd be like, okay, we'll have a new trial. But in this case, the judge and the DA really stepped up, even though they had convicted him before. They were like, no, we were wrong, okay. which is kind of unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. So they uh, dismissed the charges, and he was released from prison. Okay. So Schomburg's lawyer let him borrow his cell phone to call his fiance at the time to come pick him up, and the prison scattered to find some civilian clothes for him to wear home. There was no release plan, no services provided, no job waiting, nothing. Mm. So in 2011, Schaumburg would find himself back behind bars for possessing a firearm as a felon. He was facing six and a half years for this charge, but he would be sentenced to one year. The federal judge said she was lenient with his sentence due to his prior wrongful conviction. And Schomburg had report had apparently reported to the court that he had the firearm because he wanted to commit suicide. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So this time upon his release, Schomburg would be released to a halfway house that was supposed to address his alcohol addiction and mental health issues. Schomburg had a traumatic childhood and had suffered from ADHD, PTSD, and panic attacks even before going to prison. So then you add on top of that six years of imprisonment for something he didn't do. Six years of imprisonment as a sex offender, with much of that time spent in maximum security at Boscobel, which has 23-hour lockdowns. And you can imagine his mental state when he got out. Yeah. So 
Schomburg filed a petition for compensation in the amount of $100,000 with the Wisconsin Claims Board, and he was denied on December of 2012. The board alleged that Schomburg did not provide clear and convincing evidence that he was innocent, which is the current standard in Wisconsin. The clear and convincing legal standard means that the evidence being presented must be highly and substantially more probable to be true than untrue. Also, the trier of facts needs to have a firm conviction or belief in its factuality. So that's our current standard for people to be compensated. Okay. After they're exonerated. In June of 2013, a circuit court in Eau Claire overturned this ruling and ordered the board to come up with amount of money to equitably compensate Schomburg. And I don't know where the legislator, legislator currently stands on... Oh, sorry. Oh, I messed up. <laughs> it's one of those days. I swear I messed up like 15 times on this one. So, unfortunately, Schomburg would be found dead in his car a short two months after they decided that they were going to compensate him. Oh, God. So, as we've talked about many times and we'll probably continue to talk about forever, yeah. there are many failures in our current justice system. Yeah. Wrongful convictions are one indicator of the failed system. Not only do wrongful convictions rob an innocent person of their freedom, but it also means the actual perpetrator is allowed to stay free and can continue to harm whoever they like. Yeah, that's... That is just... And I think people forget about that when they're like, well, the finality of the law, like, that means more to you than than a murderer or a rapist being off the street. Yeah. Like, that the legal system is backed up. That's our concern. I don't really get it. No. And in this case, it isn't even clear if they ever caught the actual perpetrator. That's so terrible. Yeah, because none of the articles say anything about anybody else ever being charged. I don't think they did then. I doubt it. And unfortunately, in the way the system currently operates, wrongful convictions are inevitable. Because Mm. our current system is not about finding the truth. It's about who can tell a better story. Mm. And aside from overhauling the entire system, we have to come up with ways to fix problems that are easily fixable. And I think this case brings up some issues that could be easily fixed with legislation. So under the current policy, when wrongfully convicted persons are exonerated, they're left on their own to figure out their lives. Yeah, and some true. And some of them haven't even been on the streets in 20 years. Right. Or so- like the recent one was 49 years. He was locked up. Yes. And then... Can you imagine if you were incarcerated in 2000 when cell phones were just becoming more common and now you get released? Oh, my God. And everything is on your phone. And you don't even know how to use the touchscreen. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, it has to be such a shock to your system. Like, you get out and you're like, you can't call a cab. You need to have an Uber app. Right, yeah. And it's <laughs> like all these just little things that are so different than they were 20 years ago. They're like, I got teleported into the future and I don't know how to function. Yeah, pretty much. But when convicted prisoners get close to their release dates, they have services arranged for them. The prisoner sets them up with a social worker. They check for family and social supports. Like they check and see what kind of friends you have, what kind of family you have. They assist with finding you a job. They make sure you have housing set up or they set housing up for you. Your transportation home is arranged. Like, they have a release fund that they have made you save money into. And they don't do this for people that actually didn't do anything and were held there 
No. What, that makes no sense. That makes me so angry. Yeah. So although it's still hard to get out, they're set up to survive better than wrongfully convicted persons. So this isn't really the Department of Justice's fault because they don't really have any say once a person's exonerated. But somebody needs to do something. Yeah, absolutely. So creating a similar system for wrongfully convicted people seems like a logical first step. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it will have to look a little different since their release is often spontaneous. But there are things like supports and job assistance and even like housing and transportation assistance that they could help with instead of being like, well, you can borrow somebody's phone and try to find a ride or you can walk. Walk to where if you've been in prison for six years? You don't have a home anymore. Why isn't... Okay, so why weren't those steps also given to him? Like, why... It doesn't make any sense to me. Because we don't have that set up in Wisconsin at all. In most places, they don't have anything set up. But it's the same resources. All you have to do is make the same calls and or act the same way. they're funded by Department of Justice and they're no longer under the Department of Justice. (laughs) It's like a stupid... The red tape is just... Yeah. Yeah. And another simple solution would be to change the standards for receiving compensation and to increase the amount of compensation. Mm -hmm. The clear and convincing standard is incredibly high, and many people agree with changing the standard to a preponderance of the evidence. So under that standard, the burden of proof is met when the party with the burden, which would be the exonerated person, convinces the fact finder, like the judge or the board, that there is a greater than 50% chance that the claim is true. And I don't know where the legislator currently stands on compensation amounts, but as I stated previously on one of our episodes, we have the lowest compensation amount of any state at $5,000 a year, capped at $25,000. And I believe it should be much more than this. Yeah. At a minimum, people should be compensated what they would have made during that time if they had been free, plus an additional amount for pain and suffering. Yeah. In all other civil cases, people are compensated for ongoing mental health or physical health treatment and things like loss of consortium. And I don't think that the state should be held to a lower standard than other people. Yeah, exactly. And I fully believe that if the state knew they were going to be held accountable for their actions, then prosecutors would have to be more careful. Yep, yep. You know, that's a really, really good point. Because money is the only thing that seems to matter. Right. So if they know, like... Or get them in trouble. Like, if you do something wrong, you shouldn't keep getting to be a DA. No, yeah, that's Like, in this case, I don't think there was, like, any outward misconduct. That's a huge... You failed at your job. Yeah, they failed at their job. I don't know know why the DNA wasn't tested ahead of time. It was 2002, I said. So, it should have been tested. Any other employee is reprimanded in Mm -hmm. a way that, you know, affects them. And I... That isn't... That doesn't mean that government employees don't need to be held to that same standard. If anything, it should be way more accountable. I agree. So this case seems to highlight so many failures of not only the justice system, but also how our entire system fails those with mental health and substance abuse issues. If we had a system designed to truly help people, recidivism wouldn't be what it is. Yeah. One day everyone's going to have to realize that simply locking people away and then releasing them after some arbitrary sentence is not working. Mm-hmm. People need counseling, they need treatment, and they need to be treated as humans. Yeah. Just because someone has addiction or a mental health issue does not mean they aren't worthy of help. 
Like, they had to have known he needed help. They knew he had all these issues. They could have, like, done... Somebody could have done something. Have you ever watched the show? It's uh, where this... uh, The person, the host of the show, goes and lives in, like, one of the, uh, like, prisons around, like, the world. I've heard of it. I have never watched it. I've... Okay, so I've watched it, and he... It's mostly a guy. Mm -hmm. Um, So he is sent to, like the worst prison in some third world country in like central or south america yeah and they basically just house them like animals like yeah basically it's like here's a cell here's some beds figure it out yeah. and like guards don't ever really go in there and it's just kind of like like animals yeah and then they come out and then they become either the same not become but they stay the same because mm-hmm. there wasn't any reform yeah or they are worse because what they endured there is animal treatment yep so if you're not treated like a human then you resort to acting that way yeah i agree and then there was another one where the guy was sent to a prison in europe somewhere and it was the complete opposite they basically have like little like bedrooms for them a little like kitchenette area and they could have like pool or whatever like little like things that you would never think that a prison would have it almost Mm -hmm. looked like a dorm area yeah and they like the guards would sit down and talk to the the prisoners and they would like go out and like take a walk and the the crazy difference of treatment is really apparent. And yeah. I I really don't know if I would go that far where they, like, aren't really being punished for doing really horrendous things. Yeah. But I also don't think that throwing them in a cage without, like, mental and emotional help is also the answer. Right. So... That yeah, was my, like... Somewhere in the middle there. Somewhere in the middle. Even, like, the federal prisons are not great by any means, but they're better than the state prisons. They have education. They have counseling. Mm-hmm. You know? Why? I don't understand why there is a difference. Because states are allowed to do what they want. And a lot of states have for-profit prisons, so it benefits them oh. to have people in prison as often and as long as possible. So awful. They get paid for it, and they use them for labor. That's a whole other... That's a whole thing. That's a whole thing. <laughs> oh, I remember... I'm done with this now. <laughs> I remembered something I was going to say at the beginning. Yeah. My friend Cassidy's son, Skylar, sent me a voice memo the other day telling me how lightning rods work. <gasps> oh, yeah. Let's hear about it. <laughs> so he said they magnetize the, elect- the lightning to them, and then they absorb the electricity from the lightning okay so it goes into them and not into the house but he oh. said if they were old they might not have been working properly okay or if they weren't like attached all the way or something that they could not have been working properly mm. yeah it's basically like a magnet for lightning a that's really cool mm-hmm. uh i thank you for teaching us something new <laughs> uh and b did i have a b i don't think i had a b <laughs> That was it. He listened to our podcast and he said it wasn't like my part with the haunted story. He said it wasn't that scary. The Loch Ness Monster is scarier. Oh, (laughs) I guess we got to step it up. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) 
And I think that's all I got for today. I had a really uh, cool conversation with my mother-in-law. Um, we never talk about true crime. No. And then all of a sudden, after I've been with her son for like five years now. Yeah. And all of a sudden, she was talking about how she knew about... Do you remember the case that I did? I, I believe her name was Margaret, and she was the one who... Um, was killed by that biker gang in yeah. Green Bay. She knew about that. Wow. And she basically just, like, brought it up on her own. And then she knew about the case in California. I don't remember the girl's name, um, where the guy chopped off her arms and basically left her for dead after, like, violently and viciously raping her and his family. Oh, like band. the I Survive story? Yes. Yeah. And she just, like, brought that up, too. And I'm like have all these conversations and this never popped up (laughs) you're making new connections (laughs) yeah it was really cool so i I had a really great moment i love that true crime can bring people together it really does and we were just like and what about this and what about that and i'm like yeah i actually didn't know that you knew all these things oh my god i love that yeah yeah all right i think that's it i think that's it too so we need you guys to like yes subscribe follow yeah and um review yes please review email us yeah we would love your email yeah we've gotten some that we're working on so if you've sent us an email and asked us to look into a case we are looking into them we're not going to spoil anything this week though yep so we read we loved and we will uh do something about it soon yep and we'll shout you out when we do yeah All right. I hope you guys have a great week. Yep. And um, stay safe. Stay alert. Yes. And we love you guys. Yes. Bye. Bye. All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't Don't forget, forget, we we love love you. you.